When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence. My only couple of bullpen outings in Reno were, you know, one to two innings. I come in in the second and they have me go three or whatever and I feel like I'm back starting. But like I said, the adrenaline just carried me all the way through and like I can't really describe it any other way than you're just floating out there. Everything kind of goes numb and you have to rely on uh, all the preparation that you've done up to that point and and all the experience that you've had in your career. We want to get to Omaha. That's been the the goal of the program for, for a long time now and We've gotten really close, and you know, as as fun of a season as last year was, it's definitely a, a bitter taste in the mouth to end the year being one game away. The time that I've had to reflect on it, it's it's just about the people, the people on our team, the people at Duke that have supported us, um, the the family that we have here, the family that I have here. It's it's just made it a, a really special place and a special opportunity for for myself and my family. Basketball has been great to me. And for me to get in this Hall of Fame is like unbelievable. And thank you very much. This is Blue Devil 360, the official podcast of Duke Athletics. Welcome to this month's edition of Blue Devil 360. I'm John Roth to bring you through this month's program. We have a lot of topics to get to, but first one we're going to lead off with in recognition of February being Black History Month. Our first guest has helped Duke Volleyball find some unique ways to celebrate uh, that event, and I'm talking with Kelly Katnack-Johnson, former Blue Devil star player and now associate head coach 
for the team. Kelly, thanks a lot for spending a few moments with us and a lot of things we can talk about. But let's let's begin with this Share the Mic campaign that you helped launch with Duke Volleyball, I think four or five years ago, now back in 2020. Uh, tell us a little bit about what Share the Mic is about and how it plays into Black History Month. Yeah, so Share the Mic was honestly an, an idea um, that I saw on social media post George Floyd, um, where there are a bunch of white female celebrities handing over their Instagram platforms to black female creatives and activists um, and artists and, and really just um, sharing their platforms to you know help promote those individuals and the work that they were doing. And so you know I kind of thought that's something that Duke Volleyball could do. We have a great following on social media and I'm really lucky to have some you know former teammates who are now close friends who are really willing to engage in, in those conversations and what our program can do and how we can help move the needle a little bit. So Share the Mic came from that um, and we, we reached out to North Carolina Central Volleyball's program and they were super excited and on board. So you know for the first year we just um, handed over our Instagram platform to them and a different one of their student athletes you know, did the takeover, Instagram takeover um, every week. And, you know, it just was a really cool thing, a way for our team to engage with their team and maybe try to build those connections. And so we tried to bring it back last year, you know, post-COVID and all that stuff. And so we've offered it to um, a number of different institutions. And so we've, we're trying to, to grow that partnership that way. So it seems like the, the main uh, aspect of it or the main activity is uh, to really maybe increase some visibility amongst uh, HBCU volleyball programs, NC Central being one here in Durham. And earlier this month, you had a takeover with the St. Augustine's uh, program over in Raleigh mm-hmm. that seemed to get a lot of likes on your account. So if a school's going to take over your Instagram account for a day, what are they going to do? Yeah, I think it depends. We, you know, tell them, you tell us what day works for you. And so, you know, with St. Augustine, they had um, a day where they felt like they were going to have a lot of cool things happening on campus. And good opportunities to showcase their program and so you know we handed it over on that day but um really just you know it's it's about elevating um these programs and giving voice to these student athletes who work just as hard as ours do and maybe don't have the same level of visibility and these programs can provide incredible experiences but you know there aren't as many people who know about you know some of these smaller school programs especially so um, how can we help elevate them and shine some light on what they're doing? And this particular month with Black History Month seems like a, a good time to do this. And so you've offered this to several other schools and maybe throughout the next several weeks, February, and March, we'll see more uh, HBCUs taking advantage of the opportunity to get on the Duke Volleyball Instagram account. Yes, we have some planned um, and we hope, you know, this is something we can continue in years to come and, and has some longevity. I know uh, you're married to a former Duke football player, Desmond Johnson, who works at NC Central and he's worked at a couple of HBCUs. How much uh, has he helped maybe guide or influence some of your thoughts behind what to do with uh, this program? Yeah, I think he's been, you know, awesome because I can just bounce ideas off of him and, you know, there's no judgment ever. You know, it's, it's just, what do you think about this? How would this be received? Would this be impactful? And so, you know, we can try to work together on some things, which is awesome. And he's been great for that partnership, especially with NC Central. Um, and, you know, he's very involved with our program. So our student athletes know him well. And, you know, they kind of know what's happening over there at Central just because they know does so well. And so it's a really cool, you know, relationship that, um, you know, is fostering, I think, some learning and understanding. And, yeah, it's pretty neat. So, you know, I'm obviously very grateful for his support and his impact and um, the way he's been able to help us, you know, move our program forward and support 
um, Central's program. Seems like that partnership really has uh, blossomed in the last year or so. I know this past fall you guys had some events with NC Central's volleyball team, including uh, playing a game against them. And I don't think a Duke team had actually played over at NC Central since the 1970s, and you guys did that with volleyball. Talk just a little bit about the volleyball partnership between you guys and how that's kind of grown. Uh, Central's come over to Duke to play pretty often. You know, they came and played us when I was in school. They came and played us a couple years ago. And, you know, just thinking about scheduling, I just kind of tossed the idea out to Coach Nagel of, what if we went over there, you know, for our, our student athletes to be able to see what it's like to play, you know, at an institution that's not necessarily a power five or, you know, has the things that um, Duke has. So she was all for it. And so we reached out and Coach Brown over there at NC Central had a great idea to make it a fundraiser for the Boys and Girls Club. So we did that and we took, you know, players from both teams and went and you know spent time over at the boys and girls club and then um those kids came to our match also so it was a really cool partnership i think that hopefully we'll be able to continue to impact the durham community and also grow the game of volleyball because you know it's volleyball right now is in a, a unique place um in the country the way that it's growing as a sport and so if we can grow it here in durham um, and continue to grow both of our fan bases. It's really exciting for us. Now, I understand that uh, Share the Mic is not really the sole activity that the volleyball team has been involved in as far as recognizing Black History Month. I know there was an event on campus recently called Strides of Change for Duke student-athletes that one of your players was one of the moderators for. Can you tell us a little bit about that event and uh, how that relates to Black History Month? Yeah, you know, I think, I mean, first of all, United Black Athletes on our campus is doing great work. Um, the DEIB committee on campus here in athletics is doing great work and providing so many opportunities for the Duke community to engage and learn and, and educate ourselves and um, understand others' experiences. So Christina Barrow is one of our sophomores, and she's um, one of the student-athlete representatives on the Duke DEIB committee. So she moderated a panel, um, Strides of Change, and our whole team showed up to support her, which was awesome. But it was um, a panel of current and former Duke, black Duke student-athletes um, and really just a conversation about how the experience of the black student-athletes at Duke has evolved over the years. Well, Kelly, thanks for spending some time with us to talk about uh, Share the Mic and other things. Thank you for sharing the mic with us uh, for today. And maybe before we let you go, tell us a little bit about what volleyball is up to here in the offseason as you come off of last year, a year in which your head coach, Jolene Nagel, uh, reached 700 career wins, and you guys had some good wins last year. What are some of the things you guys are doing at this time of year to get prepared for next fall? Yeah, you know, it's a, a smaller group because we don't have our seniors, you know, so it's we had 19 in the fall. We have 12 now. Um, so it's really about, you know, building culture and what is our team identity going to be, you know, as we move into the fall and welcome new people into our program. So lots of um, individual skill training to, you know, focus on the volleyball piece of getting better. But there's also um, a lot more time without the travel, you know, for culture development and conversations and leadership work and um, developing as a team and getting out into the community and, and learning about Durham and making um, good things happen in Durham. So well, sounds good. How much of this is kind of like a, a passion play for you, given that you uh, wore that uniform for four years and took Duke to four NCAA tournaments, a couple ACC titles, had a really nice career. Like how much does that kind of fuel the passion you have for what you're doing? Yeah. You know, I think I'm uniquely situated because, you know, I, I've lived it. Um, and so I think I can relate to our players in that way um, of, you know, having a shared experience of what it means to be not just a Duke student athlete, but a, a Duke volleyball player. And really, I think a large part of my 
passion for it is um, bringing the whole Duke volleyball community together. And, you know, our alums are so engaged with our current team. And it's just this really unique family atmosphere. And you know, I think sometimes family gets a little cliche, but it really is just people are so invested in each other and so supportive. And so making sure our student athletes now, you know, love their experience the way so many of my teammates did is is really what drives me and you know also I want to see this program succeed at the highest level so how can we continue to build um, to get to get where we want to go thanks to Kelly Katnack Johnson a three-time All-America during her Duke playing days and now five years on the Blue Devil coaching staff you can check out the Duke volleyball Instagram account to find their HBCU share the mic takeovers among other content Now up next, another Duke alum from the sport of baseball. Bryce Jarvis, back in 2020, pitched the first perfect game in school history shortly before that season was closed down for the pandemic. Later in June of 2020, he became a first-round MLB draft selection, going with the 18th pick of the draft to the Arizona Diamondbacks. And last summer, he was called up to the majors for the first time and made his big league debut. He's now in spring training with the Diamondbacks, but before heading to camp, he had time for this conversation with Chris Edwards. Bryce, let's think back on the last time you were on campus. I think everybody remembers that 2020 season, how special that team was going to be. I want to start with your second start of the year, uh, perfect game against Cornell. What do you remember about that start? I remember it being super cold. Um, The game was kind of in question whether we were going to get it in or not. Um, I remember just thinking, like, I'm going to go ahead and start my my pre-start routine and kind of just lock it in and if I need to be shut down then we'll shut it down and then honestly like I vividly remember my pregame bullpen with Dusty standing behind me thinking like this is the second start of the year and my stuff has never felt so good I had all my pitches in the pen everything was spotting up and that's a pretty rare thing to happen and it's kind of scary honestly because usually your best starts come when when you don't have it in the pen or or you're not expecting things to to feel great but you know everything was clicking and then that carried right into the game and from the from the very first pitch everything was working and I, I just felt in total control when did you realize you had something special going on um I think it was my first three two count um if I'm not mistaken it was like in the seventh inning and I remember feeling weird because I had never been in, in a three-ball count that game. Everything was just kind of cruising, and I was like, hmm, I, I really don't want to walk this guy, um, and I wasn't sure what to throw, and I think I threw him a backdoor slider to a lefty, and it probably wasn't an, a strike, to be completely honest with you. I think the umpire gave me a, a little gift there, but... You know, when your stuff's working and you're getting calls, you feel pretty invincible up there. So once I got that call, I, I knew I had enough, you know, enough in the tank to, to bring it home. Let's fast forward. Obviously, that season gets shut down because of COVID. What After that season, I mean, how do you feel like you, I'm sure like you got stuff robbed from you, right? Like that team was such a special team, such a special group. Sure. Felt like you guys were going to do something big. So how do you go from the heartbreak of that to, oh, no, now I got to get ready for the big league draft because that's coming up in a couple of months? Yeah, it was tough. I mean, I think a lot of us just felt like we had something ripped out of our hands. And, you know, I think that team could have been really special. And I, I know a lot of guys feel the same way, but after a few days of, 
you know, just kind of collecting our thoughts, you're right. It, we all had to turn to, to what was next. And um, all of the, the draft eligible guys kind of uh, caravan down to, to Boca Raton, to, to Roth's house. And we set up shop there for a couple months. And I think that made a huge impact for me and, and where I went in the draft because, you know, there was no competition going on. It was all remote Zoom interviews with uh, front offices leading up to the draft and, and people posting videos of um, bullpens or, or live BP sessions. And fortunately, I had the the facility and the, the circumstances around me to, to get that video out. And I think that that really helped me improve my draft stock going into the, the draft. I'm sure eating at the Rothenberg's house every night probably helped a little bit too. 100%, no <laughs> doubt. I mean... Mama Rothenberg put in, put in work, and and I can never thank that family enough for for taking, I don't know how many of us, seven or eight of us in for for a couple months during COVID when everyone's in quarantine. Like, that was an unbelievable experience, and I know everyone was was super grateful for it. Let's talk about draft day. You get drafted in the first round really early by the Diamondbacks. What do you remember about that day? I just remember being surrounded by, by a lot of friends and family at our, our house in Nashville. Um, I remember getting up, going into the gym uh, where I was working out at the time, trying to treat it like a normal day, trying not to, not to worry about you know, where I was going to go, when I was going to go, any of that. And uh, you know, when, it, when it came on, I was just excited. Mm-hmm. I was excited to, to see what years and years of, of work was going to um, going to lead to and ultimately it was a, a huge day and honestly a, a highlight of my life so far <laughs> uh, obviously made your big league debut last season but I know success is not linear right you don't go from getting drafted in the first round to making your big league debut the next week or the next month or the next year had to grind at it had to work at the craft what's that process been like since draft day to making your big league debut yeah I mean coming out of Duke I had a lot of um you know, routines and, and processes that I thought were kind of like the the foundation of who I was as a baseball player and, and what I really like went back to when things got tough is like, okay, I do all these things that help me to prepare, whether it's a throwing program, like sleep schedule, like all these things that had been, you know, hammered into us in college. Um, I saw the results not follow those preparations when I got to pro ball. And it took me a while to realize that, you know, sometimes you have to shake up your, your processes and, and reevaluate them in terms of what environment you're in. And I think once I accepted that and reevaluated everything, uh, I was able to put myself in a, in a better spot to be prepared for those professional outings, a professional season, the different workload, the schedule changes, the, the travel of minor league baseball is, is certainly a grind. Uh, and yeah, once I once I learned to kind of shake those up and, and adapt to those circumstances, everything got a lot easier and I, I started to see the, the results come. Let's talk about the big league debut in Colorado, the strikeout, great outing, all of it. We've, we saw the family there, yeah. which was great. Tell me about the day and the emotions of your first big league start, because that's something that you've been dreaming about, I know, since you were a kid. For sure. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was an unreal day, but I think the days leading up to it were, were pretty stressful. Uh, you know, I, I got the call that I was getting called up from Reno. Um, forget what day it was, but it was after our game that had finished fairly late, probably 10.30 at mm-hmm. night. 
Um, they were putting me on the, the first flight out of Reno the next day, which was like 6 a.m. Uh, I was going to be hot for the, for the game in Arizona the next day against, uh, I think it was San Diego. It was a day game. Um, so flew in that morning, uh, went straight to the field, didn't check into a hotel or anything because the team was leaving for Denver that day, mm -hmm. right after the game. Um, so I tried to go through as normal of a, a pregame routine as I could, not to mention I had gotten moved from a starting role to, to go into the pen in the big leagues and all the, the differences that come with that. So I was hot. The, the game ends up going to extra innings in Phoenix, and I'm the last one in the bullpen. And I know everyone's stressing in the stands, like, is my first outing going to be in the 12th inning of uh, an in-division game against the Padres? Luckily, it, I mean, I would have loved it, but I think everyone else, might, it might have been too much stress for them. So anyway, we hop on the plane to, to Denver right after that, play the first game of the series there. Obviously, I'm, I'm live. I expected to be ready for that game don't end up going in there so it's another day of waiting another day where everyone's kind of walking on eggshells they don't want to bother me they're excited and then that second day in Denver as we're walking out to the the bullpen to start the game the bullpen coach leans over to me and he's like you have the fourth hitter of this game and I'm like I haven't done like any preparation to be ready that soon like I I had to just go with what I was doing pregame and and just start getting hot immediately. And in all of that, I forgot that we were the visiting team. I thought I was just going to have to go in right away. And it turns out, like, I had to wait till the bottom of the half inning. So I remember being ready so early. I was throwing bullets <laughs> as hard as I could. Everyone's kind of like, maybe this is maybe he just likes getting ready early, like, we're not going to bother him. It's his first big league outing, whatever. So I end up standing on the mound in the bullpen in cores for, I don't know, way too long, way too long. <laughs> but I just like rode the adrenaline all the way through. Didn't know how long I was going to stay in either because my only couple of bullpen outings in Reno were, you know, one to two mm -hmm. innings. I come in in the second and they have me go three or whatever. And I feel like I'm back starting, but like I said, the adrenaline just carried me all the way through, and like I can't really describe it any other way than you're just floating out there. Everything kind of goes numb, and you have to rely on um, you know all the preparation that you've done up to that point, and and all the experience that you've had in your career. Obviously, you had a really good year. The Diamondbacks did going to the World Series. Uh, let's talk about this coming up year and kind of your process as you get ready for a season, hopefully break, hopefully breaking camp with a big club, and then getting ready for another deep season for the Diamondbacks. Yeah, for sure. I mean. Going as deep as we did last year in your first big league season is is unreal and, and exciting, and we have a lot of the same guys coming back. had a had a strong off season in terms of uh, free agent signs. I think we we filled a lot of the holes that needed to be filled, and you know I think there's there's some room to play in terms of the pitching staff. There's a couple of starting jobs open. Um, you know, hoping to have a good spring training and, and break camp and and earn one of those starting roles and. You know, if not, then uh, slide into the pen. But, you know, I'm hoping to transition back into starting and, and really, you know, establish myself as a guy who can go 200 innings in a season and really make a difference. I'll let you go with this thought. Give me a, just a, a word on this place, Duke as a whole, and how special it is to you as you come back now as a former Duke baseball player. Yeah, I mean, spending as much time away as I have between the last time I was here and now, 
and just walking around today like makes me realize like how many just core memories I have here the people the places the experiences even outside of baseball whether it was in the classroom or just just hanging out with guys away from the field it's it's hard to understand away from it how much those experiences shape you as a person and to kind of like relive them being on campus again is is pretty special appreciate you doing this all the best this year anytime thank you Bryce Jarvis appeared in 11 games for the Diamondbacks last year with a 2-1 record and 12 strikeouts in 23 innings. Now, the current Duke baseball season is just getting underway. The Blue Devils are a consensus top 25 in the preseason rankings, and one of their headline players is junior pitcher Fran O'Shell, who was on all the preseason All-America teams after going 6-0 with a 0.69 earned run average last spring as Duke reached the NCAA Super Regionals. This season, O'Shell and his teammates have expectations to accomplish at least as much as the preseason rankings forecast. You know, we, we've talked about it coming from last year to this year. It's definitely a little bit uh, different of a, a preseason approach. I know last year we were uh, marked off by a lot of people. No one really expected us to have the year we had. And this year we're, um, you know, obviously a little bit more highly regarded, which you know, that's where you want to be. You want to you want to be uh, thought of as one of those top programs in the country. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know the preseason stuff is the preseason stuff, and all that matters is where where you're at at the end of the year. So, you know, it's exciting and, and good to hear all that stuff. But you got to keep keep the keep the focus on on the main thing, which is where we end the season. It, it is kind of funny how preseason polls basically they they look at obviously who's coming back and all that, but a lot of it just seems to be a carryover from what you did at the end of the previous year and. You guys really had a good end of the previous year, uh, so uh, lots to be excited about. And but what are, what are maybe some of the things you're most excited about for this year? Yeah, I'm excited for a lot of different things. You know, I think this year um, we have a very different team than we had last year. Uh, we've got a really good mix of of returning guys who have been there and done that, but we also have a really good incoming class of freshmen and grad transfers and and regular transfers who are poised to make a big big impact on the team and. Uh, you know, last year I think we had a we had a big transfer and freshman contribution, but I think this year, uh, you know, we we have more re- new guys than we have returners. So I think this year it'll be a, an even bigger impact. So I'm excited. I think you know we got a lot of really talented players who can do a lot of really special things on the field, and I think uh, we'll go out there and showcase it. You mentioned the uh, you know, the arrival of transfers, and that seems to be a, kind of a common theme across college athletics, not just Duke or Duke baseball, but all, all sports. The transfer portal is kind of a, a big thing, and I was looking at your roster from last year compared to this year, and of the position players that were here last year, uh, of the ones that were starters at the end of the year, there's only a couple back from that group, but then of the pitching staff, almost everybody seems to be back, so maybe this will be a pitching-heavy team, and I'm sure you're happy about that. Yeah, I know that's kind of what all the, the preseason write-ups are saying is that we're going to be a, a, a pitching-oriented team. But, uh, you know, having gone through the fall on a lot of this preseason, our, our hitters look really good. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, again, I think our offense is going to be different than last year. Uh, I don't think we're, you know, built the same way as we were last year. And that's not to say we're going to be better or worse. I think we're just going to have sort of a, a different type of team. But I, I'm excited. Uh, I think the coaches did a great job last year and this year of getting some really talented players out of the portal. 
Um, and I think that, that you know, they're going to have great seasons for us. Last year, Fran, obviously a great year for you. Uh, not only chosen All-America, but, yeah, 6-0 record out of the bullpen. And uh, it's some, some great stats, 66 strikeouts in 39 innings and only allowed three runs, earned runs all year. So I, you had to be happy with how last year went. What are some of the ways, though, that you've, uh, you've tried to work on your game and improve your game as you go from one year to the next? I would say there's a lot of different things that I've been working on, you know, um, for starters, I've been working hard to, you know, try to earn a spot in the starting rotation this year and make that jump from a reliever to a starter. So I think the main things I focus on are, you know, those those things that kind of differentiate the um, relief pitchers from the starters. And, you know, looking at my year last year, I, I used my fastball at a really high rate, which as a reliever, you know, you can kind of get away with that when you're only facing guys one time and going through the order one time. Um, but when you, you know when you got to go through the order two, three times, maybe even sometimes four, uh, you know you're gonna have to be able to mix it up a little bit more and beat guys in different ways. So I think for me, you know, I've been excited to, you know, develop the breaking ball, keep you know bringing that along and and working on getting that better each day, and also the you know bringing the changeup back into into the mix for me. You know, I threw one changeup ball last year, and <laughs> wow. for me, you know, in high school and and growing up and everything, my changeup was my best pitch so it's something that last year I shelved and didn't throw very much so I'm excited to have that back in the mix and even after not having thrown it much last year I feel like I still you know have a good feel for it and, and I'm excited to get that back out there I know last summer you played for the USA baseball collegiate national team in the summer you guys had a 10 game series against a Chinese team and a Japanese team across the middle of the summer so lots of uh, training and competition with other great college baseball players how much did last summer uh, also help you it was an awesome opportunity obviously for starters any any chance you get to represent your country is an unbelievable honor uh, so I was very excited to do that um, but as well like to go along with that you know the, the talent on that team and the talent in the trials uh, it's unreal you know you're playing with the guys who are the best in the country and guys who just from being around them you pick up on things and learn things that you can add to your game and uh, along with that it's obviously great to compete against those guys and see where you where you match up so that was an unbelievable experience for me I, I enjoyed every second of it and I've enjoyed you know taking some some stuff from that summer experience and bringing that you know to campus this fall and this preseason and heading into the season when you talk about the NCAA tournament I know three times in the last five NCAAs, the Blue Devils have reached the Super Regionals, and whatever you want to get to Omaha for the College World Series, how much does that kind of flavor the goals of this year's team? Yeah, that's definitely the main goal. We want to get to Omaha. That's been the been the goal of the program for for a long time now, and we've gotten really close. And you know, as as fun of a season as last year was, it's definitely a, a bitter taste in the mouth to end the year being one game away. So. Uh, I think for, for the guys coming back, it's nice to still have that fresh, that fresh taste of that and knowing we can get back there, we can do it and, and having the extra motivation of being one game away. And then for the new guys coming in, I think it's a cool motivation of, you know, being the guys who came in there and, and in your first year, you made it happen. I know for me, like as a freshman, that was always kind of something that I, you know, thought of and wanted to do in high school. You know, I thought it would be really cool to be the first class to come into school and and get the team there. Obviously, it didn't work out for us, but um, now as a junior, it's still the same goal of, you know, getting there and, and getting the program over the hump. Duke women's tennis coach Jamie Ashworth knows what it's like to get a program over the hump. In 2009, he guided the Blue Devils to an NCAA team championship after several years of high rankings and Final Four appearances. 
Earlier this spring, he reached a major milestone with his 600th career victory. He became the fastest coach in NCAA Division I to reach 600, doing so in only 747 matches, and he stands seventh on the all-time wins list. In his 28 years, that list of 600 wins includes some big ones, with 11 Final Fours and 9 ACC championships among them. Duke honored Ashworth during a recent men's basketball game, where I was able to talk to him about his career. I honestly don't really think about it. I think when, when I found out that that was the 600th win, I, I thought about it a little bit. They had a, a nice video from some former players and, and was able to see that and, and some text messages and, and notes from former players. And so, um, you know, just the, the time that I've had to reflect on it, it's, it's just about the people, the people on our team, the people at Duke that have supported us, um, the, the family that we have here, the family that I have here, it's, it's just made it a, a really special place and a special opportunity for, for myself and my family. How might you characterize or describe the kind of culture of the Duke women's tennis program with one leader for, for that long, almost three decades? You could seem like there could be some consistency within the culture. Are there some certain things that you've tried to emphasize that have helped lead uh, this program to being one of the best ones in the country? Yeah, I think I think that a lot of it comes to the girls on your team and the, and the leadership roles that they take and they pass it down from generation to generation you know I think one of the things that we talk about in our program a lot is is being honest with everything honest with each other and upfront with everything and upfront with each other and you know we're really proud of all the the victories we've had and I tell people you know one of the the most proud things that I am of our program is we've never had anybody transfer out of Duke and and you know I think that starts in the recruiting process of being you know upfront and honest and I think people in our program know what to expect when they come to Duke and I think that people within our program when they're talking with recruits tell them what to expect and and um, you know there's not nothing hidden no hidden agendas nothing nothing like that and so um, you know I'm proud of the leaders we've had I'm proud to see where they've gone in their lives not just as tennis players but whether it's you know doctors working on Wall Street real estate whatever whatever field they go in I think we've got some some great people in our we've had some great people in our program that, that aren't just tennis players they're more than that so have you seen a lot of changes in your sport over this time that you've been coaching at duke i mean uh i, I know when you started in the mid 90s duke was in the middle of never losing an acc match throughout the whole decade of the 90s which is like almost mind-boggling right, i think right. there was 116 acc wins in a row and now you're in a period where like right here in the triangle like three of the top 10 teams in the country are all right here north carolina and nc state playing for the national championship last year and you guys are right there beat north carolina the year before i mean so when they were number one so it, it seems like there's been a lot of changes during this time acc in particular has really blossomed yeah the acc now is the best conference in the country i think it's a tribute to the coaches in our conference the institutions putting um you know, kind of putting some money into the programs and with facilities and and um, the opportunities that are there for all these girls in the conference. And so, um, you know, that streak that, that streak was, was a tough one to go through because eventually you're going to lose. And and you know, I think it weighed on our program a little bit, and no one wanted to be the one to lose that match. And and um, you know, but but looking back on it, it, it just shows how much the conference has changed because there were times where we petition the ACC to not have to play conference matches to because we felt like it didn't prepare us for the NCAA tournament and now 
you know, I think last year we had 10 or 11 teams in the NCAA tournament. We had, you know, as you mentioned, NC State, UNC playing in the national championship match. We beat NC State in the regular season last year. We beat UNC the year before when they were ranked one in the country and, and we were in the final four. And, and so I think there's just so much parity, so much. Not, there's no, no easy day, as we, as we say, in, in, in our conference anymore. What are some of the things that you like about the current team you're coaching? I know you have expectations. This team always program always has expectations for doing great things throughout the year. How do you feel about how this year's squad is coming in, coming in, into shape? Yeah, I mean, for me, the biggest thing is that we're getting better and we're improving. I think that every match we've played, we, we've gotten a little bit better. Um, you know, I think it showed in our last outing against UCLA, um, which we played up in up in Columbus, Ohio the other day. And and um, that was the team that knocked us out of the NCAA tournament last year. And they, they returned five of their, their six in their lineup. And unfortunately, we were missing three people from, from last year's lineup to graduation or, or turning professional. And, and, but the team we had came and believed in themselves. And, and we beat UCLA 4-0. And I, I, think that, I think when we look back on this season later in, the, in, the, in the, um, you know, April, May, I'm hoping that that match was a, a stepping stone for us and a turning point as we move forward. Okay, now I'll put you on the spot for a second before we leave, and you know I, I'm I'm going to assume that winning the national championship 2009 is probably a career highlight. You know that's something everybody wants to do, and that was such a great run. And you also had the individual winner that year, so great team, great season. But when you look at your career as a whole, besides maybe uh, winning the national championship, is there like a, out of these 600 and some wins, is there like a match or two that you like? Man, that was just an unbelievable day to be the Duke <laughs> tennis coach, to be leading the Duke program, and I really love that day. Yeah, you know, it's funny. You talked about the ACC streak, and I remember clearly losing a match in the regular season that year to Wake Forest, who was top five in the country. And then for that team to come back and beat Wake Forest in the NCAA, or sorry, in the ACC tournament and kind of avenge that loss. And, and um, you know, I think they put their head down. I think they they said nothing's going nothing's gonna to take that away from us again. And, um, you know, I think our, our best teams are the ones that that play for each other. They're not playing for outside factors. They don't let outside things influence what they do. And and that's where I'd like to see this team be is not worry about the past, not worry about what last year's team did or the year before, but but just go out and play and not not let outside factors influence how we are on the court. And if we do that and, and when we've done that in the past, we've had successful seasons. Well, congrats on all you've accomplished you. uh, with the Blue Devils, and good luck. We'll be certainly following you the rest of this year. Thank you. Thanks, John. This year's women's tennis team is off to a 6-2 and two start, is ranked number 14 nationally, and is just getting started on its ACC regular season. Okay, time for the calls of the month, and it's all basketball, as you might expect this time of the year. First up, we listen in on Chris Edwards' final call of the Duke-North Carolina women's basketball game, won on Super Bowl Sunday afternoon before a sold-out audience at Cameron Indoor Stadium after the Blue Devils had to rally from a 14-point deficit late in the third period to prevail in overtime. Carolina's not going to foul. Three seconds to go. Down by 14 points. Duke comes back at home. And every day is a great day to beat the Tar Heels. And the Blue Devils do it in dramatic fashion today. Final score in overtime, Duke 68, North Carolina 60. Now on to men's basketball and some of Duke voice David Shoemate's top descriptions from the heart of this ACC season. From a last-second win against Clemson to several standout individual moments, culminating with freshman Jared McCain's three-point shooting at Florida State and his stunning dunk at Miami. The sophomore from Australia. 
Tyrese Proctor sends it on the way. Got it! Duke has the lead. 72-71, no timeouts for Clemson. Gerard sends it to the ref. Now he's got it. Gerard on the baseline, launches down court. Mitchell going to get a hand on it. It's over! 72-71, the final score. They got up off the deck, and they beat the Tigers by one. It ricocheted out for Kelly, who put it off the window, missed it, and Filipowski has the rebound. Chance to add to an 11-point lead. It's Mitchell, a Euro step, a scoop, and score! Mark Mitchell in takeover mode. Timeout, Boston College. Number 25, going to work. Here's Konezny trying to drive into the paint, scoop it up. Oh, blocked by Stewart. Proctor saved it to flip. And here we go, four on three the other way. Lob it to Stewart to throw it down. Cameron in a frenzy. And the lead is 12. Trying to find a cutter, it's lost. A theft by Jeremy Roach, a bounce pass ahead for McCain. On the right of three, got it! Jared McKay dialed in! And the Blue Devils lead by 10 at halftime. 44 to 34, how about 25 for the freshman out of Sacramento? A chance to add to a 13 point lead. It's McCain all the way in, oh! He punched it with the right hand! My goodness, timeout Miami! All six, three of them rising up to throw it down. You thought he was just going to coast in there for a little driving layup, and then all of a sudden, bam, the Blue Devils are up 29 to 14. How about that? Not just a shooter, as they said. To close out this month's Blue Devil 360, we pay tribute to a legendary Duke Hall of Famer who passed away this month at the age of 92. Charles Lefty Drizel was a senior on Duke's first ACC championship basketball team back in 1954, then went on to a remarkable coaching career with 786 wins over 41 years while leading four different schools to the NCAA tournament, Davidson, Maryland, James Madison, and Georgia State. In 2018, he was enshrined in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, and we're going to share a clip of his induction speech during which he explained how he got his start in coaching followed by a remembrance from former Duke coach Mike Krzyzewski, his longtime special friend and one of his presenters for the Hall of Fame. Hope you enjoy. From Duke, I got a job at the Ford Motor Company paying uh, $6,200 a year. I worked there for one year. Then a JV coaching job came open at Granby High School where I'd gone to school and played. And I said, well, I came home and told George, I think I'm going to take that Grammy coaching job. I always wanted to coach. I told you I did it since I was nine years old. And she said, well, what is your pay? I said, $3,200. And you making $6,200 at the Ford plant? You going to take that job? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to take it. I love coaching. I, I said, I'll work in the summertime, sell encyclopedias or do something, make some extra money. And uh, so that's what I did. I started out as a JV basketball coach. And then I did pretty good there for two years. And then I went to Newport News High School. And y'all don't know this, right? But we won 57 straight games, which is still a record in the state of Virginia. I know we won 57 straight. Now was a pretty hot thing. Eddie Cameron, the athletic director, Duke liked me. He said, I think I can get you the Davidson job if you want it. I said, go for it, man. I want to coach in college, see if I can really coach. 
So he got me the Davidson job. But everybody said, don't take that job. Don't with 900 boys go to school there. And if you never won a basketball game in a tournament or in a conference or anything, and I said, well, I'm going to go there. Well, Lefty was a lifer. He loved the game. He loved everything about the game. And he was an innovator. He helped improve the game, advance the game. He was iconic. And he had some of the best teams and best players to ever play our sport. And he did it over five decades. Uh, I'm so happy he was honored with his uh, admission into in, induction into the Naismith Hall of Fame. Those who were blessed to have been his friends will remember him forever and miss him forever. <laughs> <laughs>